Hello, everyone. Welcome to Next Level Coaching with Rick Rass here. I'm very excited that you're here today, and I'm even more excited that you're ready to take your life to the next level. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number six, What's Holding You Back? If you're on the road to the next level, if you're trying to level up, it's inevitable that you're going to encounter obstacles. I think it's helpful to look at that journey to the next level like you would a road trip. If you're taking a trip, especially in the summer during construction months, it's very likely that you're going to probably encounter some obstacles, detours, those road signs, be prepared to stop, bridge out, wrong way, dead end, road closed ahead. Sometimes they may delay our arrival. Sometimes they make us wonder if we'll ever get there at all. Sometimes they'll force us to cancel a trip and maybe reschedule for another day or just take another route. Obstacles are seldom welcome, even if they just slow us down a bit. Who hasn't encountered those annoying road signs? I recall being on my way to a training session and coming up onto a road close sign. Most of the time, there would be well-marked detours established. But not that day. I was already running late. Obstacles are obvious to a driver, but not so obvious to an athlete, a musician, a student trying to take their GPA to the next level, or a salesperson trying to reach a quarterly sales goal. In athletics, for example, maybe it would be helpful to come up with some road signs to put up in the gym. Maybe a few like, be prepared for lack of motivation, no focus zone ahead, watch out for drama, no one at work, proceed with caution, multitasking ahead. I'm sure you could come up with some great ideas for signs yourself. Much of my focus will be on athletics, but as always, you can apply this information and make application to just about any area of your life. The bottom line is if you're going to go to the next level, you have to recognize what's holding you back. Many people don't even think about what's holding them back. In episode three, The Biggest Lie in Sports, and in episode four, the ticket to the next level, I talked a lot about those key things that will help you get to the next level. But at the same time, it is so crucial to recognize what's holding you back in any way, shape, or form. What are those things that slow us down? What are those things that keep us from going to the next level? One of the top three activities that I do with teams when I'm working with them is called either ready, aim, or trust me. Ultimately, it's blindfolded dodgeball with a minefield mixed in. Each person has a partner. One of those people is blindfolded inside a specified area while the other is outside the lines directing them to a ball and helping them avoid the cones and hula hoops that I put inside that area that represent landmines. If a player on the inside touches one of those landmines, they're done. If the blindfolded person finds a ball, the objective is for them to throw the ball at one of the other blindfolded competitors. Basically, the blindfolded people are playing dodgeball against each other with the outside people directing them. In the midst of people throwing balls at each other and trying to avoid the landmines, I make it clear that I am the evil forces. I can say anything I want. I can move anything I want. I can put the cones in front of them or even put a hula hoop around them. If I put a hula hoop around them, obviously their partner should be helping them, telling them what's going on or warning them of the danger. When the game starts, it is loud. The participants on the outside are shouting directions to their partners on the inside. Some don't listen to their partners and touch landmines right away. 
A few hide in the corner, hoping others will be eliminated first. I gain some trust by giving some people balls, but follow up by giving them a cone. Some people laugh so hard they cry watching and playing this game. This game provides a smorgasbord of applications to athletics. Teamwork, communication, trust, focus, strategy. One of the main reasons, however, I do this during a training session is because it's a great platform to discuss obstacles. For example, if you're an athlete, if you didn't come into the season the best shape of your life, why not? What kept you from doing the things you intended to do? A lot of athletes just don't take the initiative. I mentioned in one of the other podcasts that athletes know one or two or three or four things that they could do that would make them better, but they just don't do it. From an individual standpoint, taking the initiative is one powerful thing. Webster's defines initiative as the energy or aptitude displayed in initiation of action. I like to think of it as individuals who recognize opportunity and seize the moment. They don't just think about it, they do it. Take the following story about chickens, for example. It's a simple math problem with a twist. In my first podcast, I mentioned I grew up on a chicken farm. We had 10,000 laying hens. Chickens would often sit in the windows along the length of the barn. We like to think that they enjoyed watching us play baseball in the field next to the chicken barn. One day, there were five chickens sitting in the second level window. Three of those chickens decided to fly out the window and get a closer look at the game. Go where no chickens had ever gone before. How many chickens were left? You're guessing two? Good math, but that's not the right answer. Why? I said there were five, and three of them decided to fly down. But that doesn't mean they did anything. Our society is filled with people who decide to do something, but never follow through. Why? Because they don't take the initiative. Many employers, coaches, and parents would probably say that initiative is becoming a lost art. I've wrestled with this issue for a long time and still haven't been able to reach any definite conclusions. Bear with me for a moment while I try to explain. Some people don't even notice things that could or need to be done. For them, the prospect of taking the initiative is not a possibility since they can't take action on something they're not aware of. For example, I recently started playing pickleball a bunch. And when I get into something, I study the game, I watch the game, I practice and I practice against the wall. I remember talking to several people about practicing against the wall, and their comment was, gee, we never thought of doing that. I suppose it seemed like a natural thing to do since I spent so much time training against the wall when I was working on my volleyball skills. Probably at least 80% of the time I spent training against the wall by myself. I do an activity with teams where I present a problem to them involving balancing dominoes, and they have to come up with a solution that works. And up until this point, no one has ever figured this one out on the spot. And afterwards, they always want me to show them the answer, but I don't. I challenge them to find the answer themselves, which can be done in about 10 seconds by Googling it. And then I leave a t-shirt with coaches for the person who does that. And they're all fired up about getting a t-shirt. I ask coaches to let me know if anybody does it. Probably less than 10% of the time people actually do it. I worked with a college softball team once and I challenged them about the whole concept of taking the initiative. And one of the things I talked about is improving footwork. I told them, somebody buy a hacky sack and work on your hacky skills five minutes every day before practice. 
And it was awesome because it was like two or three weeks later that the coach told me that one of the captains went and bought a hacky sack that day. And every day they've been working on their hacky skills. And he said, it's amazing. They get so fired up about how much better they're getting at hacky and obviously improving their foot skills at the same time. I don't really want to present obstacles without providing some type of solutions or resolutions. With initiative, I think there are several key things that you can do. Number one, find an accountability partner, somebody who maybe has the same passion and mission that you do and hold each other accountable. Number two, post-it and stick-it notes are great assets. Put them up in your house, put them up on your mirror. I've talked about that in previous podcasts. Things that will remind you, because I think sometimes people don't take the initiative because the thought just doesn't cross their mind. They forget about it. And number three, as I mentioned just a little bit ago, it's hard to take action if you don't even notice or think about what you need to be doing. Some of you may be familiar with the term cognitive incompetence. Cognitive incompetence is basically you don't know what you don't know. So how do you solve that problem? You study your game, become a student of the game, become a student of training for your game, your sport, your activity. In that process, you'll definitely find out things that you can do. Impulsive initiative can be a great thing. Like, for example, you see equipment after practice that needs to be picked up. You take the initiative and you pick it up and put it away. But to sustain motivation for a long period of time and take the initiative over a long period of time, you got to have a plan. What are you going to do? When are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? Instead of telling a teammate that, yeah, let's work out sometime, set up a schedule for working out in advance. If you're going to work out in the morning and you struggle getting up out of bed, pick out your workout clothes the night before and set them out and put your alarm clock on the other side of the room. You really have to know your own weaknesses and have a plan of attack. You may have heard me say, well done is better than well said. I really believe that some people feel a sense of accomplishment just by talking about what they'd like to do. So since they feel that sense of accomplishment, they become less likely to take action and do it because they've already felt some sense of accomplishment. That may not make any sense, but I think that's what happens. Some of the guys that I freestyle kayak with know that I've been taken out to eat many times on a bet by people who said, yeah, this year I'm going to be able to do a flat water loop or I'm going to be able to do cartwheels or I'm going to get my double pump down. And it might be fun to talk about, but you got to have a plan, got to have a structured plan. In 1998, the Foley football team, the district I teach in, won the Class 3A football championship. After a season, they didn't win one game. Their theme that year, and it was posted all over the locker room and the weight room, you got to have a plan. Planning and preparation can certainly play a part in avoiding some of the obstacles. Some injuries are certainly obstacles that could be avoided. For example, many athletes use plyometrics in training without developing an adequate strength base, and then they wonder why they have shin splints. What about a runner who logs too many miles in training and then wonders why they have a stress fracture? Being stiff and sore is an obstacle as well. Just making sure that you stretch out after an intense workout helps flush the lactic acid out of your bloodstream. Flexibility is just a byproduct of stretching. I was listening to a broadcast of a professional baseball game last summer, and the announcer, the broadcaster, said that the number one injury in baseball was associated with hamstrings. 
I would have thought that maybe it would have been an injury associated with throwing. And I didn't go online to check statistics, but I certainly found it interesting. So many people have back problems because of poor flexibility in the hamstrings. And so much of that can be avoided. Drama is something else that could be avoided. Drama and unresolved conflict is such an unnecessary opponent. Avoid it like the plague. Drama has become an issue in almost epidemic proportions. We almost need to treat it like the coronavirus. But instead of wearing masks, we need to wear earplugs. Drama can rear its ugly head through things like playing time, a bossy captain, or how someone looked at somebody else wrong during a game, practice, or in school, etc. One of my biggest pet peeves in sports at the varsity level is athletes who feel a sense of entitlement because they're upperclassmen. Often they do the bare minimum in practice or in the offseason, but they feel they should be starting or playing more just because they're upperclassmen. Too many times the drama is created when parents get too involved when they are uninformed about what goes on in practice or in the offseason. I've seen teams destroyed by the attitude that comes with the sense of entitlement, the inability to accept roles and responsibilities. Teams end up competing against each other instead of other teams. The objective at the varsity level in most athletic programs is to put the best team out on the court or field. Coaches working with the younger athletes typically try to give everyone playing time, but not necessarily equal time. At the foundation of drama is self-centeredness. Drama is an enemy of teamwork since it strongly contradicts what teamwork is all about. Drama becomes a huge obstacle for any team at any level. How do you avoid it? I would love to say there's a simple formula that would end drama, but there isn't. However, I feel there are some steps you can take which would help reduce drama negatively affecting your team. First, be proactive. Meet with the whole team and parents, if possible, at the beginning of the season. Talk about how drama is like a threat to the team, but only has as much power as we give it. Drama works like cancer. Even a little bit of drama is dangerous because you know the potential it has for spreading eventually can destroy you if you don't wipe it out. Number two, my only rule for team building over the last 18 years has been no put downs. Many of our parents have drilled the following statement into us. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. That may be some of the best advice we were ever given. It's great advice to assume the best of each other. We often jump to conclusions when we don't know the facts. On a team, it can be tempting to say something about somebody if you're upset with them. Remember, you don't improve your reputation by trying to destroy someone else's. We need to examine our motives when we say anything negative about someone. Number three, have you ever heard the words of wisdom? He who listens to one side of a story is a fool. Drama needs an audience and can't flourish without somebody who will listen to it. Those who will listen just fuel the drama queen who thrives in the presence of drama. Make it a team rule. Don't listen to it. Put the earplugs in. Instead of waiting until drama occurs and reacting to it, being proactive is much more effective and can play a big part in reducing or preventing drama. Address issues right away with athletes involved with effective communication. Oftentimes coaches assume it will just go away, but it may only get worse. Maybe pick up the book called Stop the Drama by Doc Robin, but definitely make the effort to reduce it or eliminate it because it will get the best of you and everyone on your team. We're definitely creatures of habit, so get in the habit of avoiding drama. Our choices, behavior, and lifestyle patterns can be our greatest assets or our biggest obstacles. 
We may be surprised to find out how much of our daily life consists of patterns and habits. Changing routines is not easy. The average American spends nine years of their life watching TV. Think about how those figures would change if we added computer time and smartphones. The big thing regarding technology, I always say create more content than you consume. Don't miss that. Create more content than you consume. Be so busy with what you are doing with your life, going to the next level, that you don't have time to look through Facebook, Snapchats, Instagram, TikToks. Create your own content. Gosh, I'm already 17 minutes into this podcast, and I feel like I haven't even really scratched the surface in terms of obstacles. I'm definitely going to have to do part one and part two to this subject matter, since it's so crucial. I don't want to cut anything short. It'd really be difficult to rank obstacles in terms of the severity, the impact that they can make, or which ones are the most common. But I really think the biggest obstacle in athletics are the tapes that play inside people's heads. Negative self-talk. Mental toughness is what everybody strives for, and that is why it is so crucial to understand the significance of negative self-talk. One of the most destructive obstacles, not just for athletes, but for anyone in any walk of life, are the negative tapes that play inside our heads. Negative self-talk is destructive because our internal dialogue is the foundation of mental toughness. You can verbally speak out loud at about 150 words a minute. You can think inside your head at about 400 to 600 words a minute. That's a lot of information that can go through your head in a very short period of time, and it's amazing how destructive it can be. I don't believe I've ever done a session without including some type of reference to the power of negative self-talk. So many athletes literally talk themselves out of doing things that they're very capable of doing. In my intro podcast, I shared my favorite quote by Thomas Edison. If everybody did what they were capable of doing, we would literally astound ourselves. We'd blow ourselves away with what we could do. The most inhibiting factor is that self-talk. Experience from the past can play a big part in how we talk to ourselves and have a huge influence on our performance. We all develop roadways of thinking. Mental pathways can become valuable tools or nasty habits. For some athletes, negative self-talk is like a roadblock with no alternative route. This occurs most often when we are challenged, get frustrated, perceive something as impossible, or encounter setbacks. Negative self-talk will keep us from putting in our best effort because as soon as those negative tapes start playing, you can pretty much kiss your enthusiasm and determination goodbye. There is no doubt about it. If we challenge our limits, we will inevitably get frustrated. Frustration isn't a bad thing, but if we don't respond to it well, it can become a nasty obstacle. Everybody hits the wire of the fork in the road if they're going to the next level. I call it the frustration factor. How we respond when we get frustrated is ultimately the key to success. What goes on inside our heads is crucial in setting the stage for the degree of success we'll experience when frustrated. If we take the wrong road, it's a dead end. If we start thinking, oh, this is too hard, I'll never be able to do this, oh, I'm such a loser, any sense of determination will be derailed. We shut down, we give up, we throw in the towel, and our effort drops off the face of the earth. Over the years, people have asked me often, Rick, what's the difference between guys and girls, men and women, if you're working with corporate groups, adults? What's the difference between those type of groups? 
Here's one example. I do an activity related to goal setting, taking it to the next level with giant jump ropes. If I have a group of guys, 10, 15 guys on a jump rope, if they're trying to make several jumps in a row and somebody misses, what do you think those guys do to the guy who missed? You idiot! You know, push them over, they get physical. The female gender, they're not quite as verbal with their put-downs, but they're much better at giving the look. Where do they learn the look from? Their moms. I made reference earlier to my rule, no put-downs, and how it applies to what you say to each other, but most importantly, how you talk to yourself. Guys, girls, men or women, nobody is immune to negative self-talk. In athletics or any walk of life, too many people are really good at ripping on themselves, putting themselves down. They don't need anybody else to help them out. Unfortunately, they're doing a good enough job on their own. It is so important to monitor our internal dialogue. Throughout the day, we have all kinds of conversations going on inside our head. We may want to determine if our internal dialogue is building us up or tearing us down. How about you? What kind of tapes play inside your head? In my book, I listed some statements regarding self-talk, and I'm going to share some of those now. Our self-talk will either cheer us on or turn us off. Our self-talk will be one of the biggest fans we have or one of our greatest opponents. Our self-talk will either encourage us or discourage us. Our self-talk will cause us to challenge our limits or limit our challenges. Our self-talk determines whether we live in hope or we live in despair. Our self-talk determines whether we live life to the fullest or live life going through the motions. Our self-talk determines whether we reach for the stars or crawl under a rock. Our self-talk determines whether we are looking to the future or dwelling on the past. Our self-talk determines whether we are striving for more or settling for less. Our self-talk determines whether we lift our teammates up or pull them down. Our self-talk determines whether we reach our goals or reach the bottom. Our self-talk determines whether we say, I can, or we say, I can't. Our self-talk determines whether we are just beginning or already finished. Our self-talk determines if we decide the direction we take or let others decide for us. Our self-talk determines whether we are climbing or falling. Our self-talk determines if we have a vision of where we're going or if we are lost. Our self-talk determines whether we build up our confidence or plant seeds of doubt. Our self-talk determines whether we are in the challenge zone or stuck in the comfort zone. Our self-talk determines whether we run the race or just watch it. These are just a few examples. You could probably come up with some great statements yourself, and if you do so, send them my way. I do some activities with people where they're challenged to figure out a problem. Solve a puzzle, in other words. It's always interesting how they respond when they initially see what they need to do. For example, one such activity, I utilize tavern puzzles. Tavern puzzles are metal puzzles, typically where you try to get a ring off of a structure. When I pull them out of the bag, oftentimes people will respond right away by saying, oh, I'm no good at this type of thing. I can't do this. Before they even start, they already talk themselves out of doing what they probably are capable of doing. As I mentioned earlier, their determination and enthusiasm go right down the tubes. One of the first steps from preventing negative self-talk from inhibiting your performance, your ability to do something, is recognizing it when it happens. I don't think a lot of people realize how much they do it and how it influences them. 
Whatever the reason for negative self-talk, discouragement is the byproduct. Discouragement and motivation do not mix. Determination and negative self-talk don't mix either. It's like trying to mix oil and water. Discouragement is something that can so easily take control of our lives. Losing control can start with believing the lie of the negative self-talk. Don't give up that control. Once you recognize the negative self-talk, changing those roadways of thinking is not going to be a quick and easy process. What needs to be done is replace the negative self-talk with positive phrases. I got this. I can do this. There's no way I'm giving up. I was made for this moment. Whatever it is that you need to say to yourself to change the patterns of thinking. I talk to my elementary students about the power of negative self-talk. In kindergarten, first, second, third grade, if we're doing something that's difficult and I can kind of tell that they're struggling, I'll yell out, maybe this is too hard for kindergartners. And I have them trained to yell back in unison, no way, Mr. Rassier. It's one of the coolest things ever, but I want them to get that ingrained in their head that when they're struggling in the classroom or whatever it is, that they have that type of self-talk going on. I remember talking to one of my elementary classes about the whole concept of frustration. I was curious to find out what kind of awareness these young students had on the issue. After a few minutes of discussion, one boy raised his hand and said, Mr. Assier, this is physical education, not frustration class. Many of the kids thought it was funny, and it was. I said, Jason, that's a great point. Maybe we should have a class called frustration class. I've said many times... We should have a class in school called Frustration 101 because oftentimes a lot of students are inhibited not by their ability or their knowledge, but by the tapes that play inside their head. Several years ago, I received a call from a high school gymnastics coach about a week after I had done a session with her team. She said one of her younger athletes was on the balance beam in practice, and at one point she stopped with a puzzled look on her face. An assistant coach asked her what was wrong, and she said, When Rick was talking to us about positive self-talk, did he say we should do that inside our heads or out loud? The coaches got a kick out of it. I was just thrilled to hear that she was applying the information from the training session. My hope with this podcast is that you apply some of the information, because recognizing some of the obstacles that can keep you from going to the next level is huge. I did say that this was going to be part one. In part two, I'll talk about other things that can be huge inhibitors, not just in athletics, but in life. I sure appreciate you listening today, and I hope this podcast makes a big impact in your life. Please pass the word on. I'd appreciate it. Have an awesome day in your quest to take it to the next level. 